Boys World podcast, brought to you in association with MS Amlin Boat Insurance. Hello and welcome to the Waterways World podcast. I'm Bobby Cowling, the editor of the magazine, and with me for this episode is Braunston Marina owner Tim Coughlin. As well as being well known to boaters in the busy Braunston area, Tim has also played a very active role in working boat heritage over the years, being patron of several societies, hosting the annual Braunston Historic Boat Rally, and making generous donations to the upkeep of heritage craft. Along with Waterways history, we discussed the challenges of running a boating business this year, and Tim's journey from being a London stockbroker to a marina owner. Plus, there's also a little about his celebrity boating friends. So, let's take a listen. So, as a marina owner, Tim, how has 2020 been for you? Well, I think, quite frankly, it's been the most challenging year that I've ever had. Um, in the 32 years I've been working on the canals. And when, um, I, I say this to people openly now, we, we, were, we were suddenly shut down in about the last week in March. And by, you know, okay, May, so April came along. But by the middle of May, there was just no end in sight to it. And, um, you know, we had our reserves, um, money that I set aside for projects I was going to do this autumn. And... Um, we were starting to eat into those, and you did a very simple graph. When are you going to bloody run out of more money altogether? Yeah. Um, it was quite frightening, really. We, we, we actually um, you know, furlogged a lot of the staff, but we still had to keep certain essential staff here going. For example, the lady does all our accounts because you have to pay people, we have to pay bills. Um, and we had to keep a certain um, level of service here going. We opened every day throughout the whole period for two hours a day, uh, core, but we were there you know, much longer because people were ringing up about their boats and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, and um, it was quite unnerving at times. And um, Unnerving in, in what way? Just the, the financial? Yeah, just when we just going to run out of money. I mean, but the funny enough, the joke of it all was in the middle of all that chaos, we um, sold two boats on the internet without anyone ever coming near the place, and um, because people just wanted to buy those boats for when they could allow to go boating. That's interesting, because during lockdown, we heard that boat brokers were doing surprisingly well, actually. We were doing okay at that stage, but we couldn't show boats. Mm. Uh, you could be in deep trouble, and um, there were one or two people who got into trouble doing just that. Um, and... Um, you know, you could have your, all your high-tech stuff on the, on the internet, but people, you might get the odd person who's prepared to pay part of the, their, their monies um, over just on the basis of that. But people, nine people, obviously, want to see the boat. They want to have a test drive. They want to have it properly surveyed. They want to be sure that the boat is sorted out from any points coming out from survey. So, yes, once it all lifted, I mean, our boat sales went mad. And the funny enough, the joke is at the end of this year, looking at the figures, um, we've still got another week or two to go. Um, we're we've about twenty percent ahead of the whole of last year, which I just, just find is that just in the on just boat sales on boat sales on gross boat sales. Um, but how does that compare with the other services you provide? Well, the other services well, obviously our servicing operation, which employ a lot of people, we employ six people in that, um, was decimated with all lockdowns, um, mm. just completely closed, and um, we couldn't do anything. 
I could lift a screwdriver in anger at those who have been in trouble. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, or a spanner, I should say, or... or, or <laughs> take your pick. Or take your pick, or, or yeah, a, you yeah. know, a ball thruster in anger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thruster in anger. So, um, you know, that, that was where we were. So um, we had to just have them sitting there doing nothing, which was pathetic, really. Yeah, but what? Well, well, that was the first one, the first which came to an end. I can't remember now. Mid June was it? I can't remember. Yeah, it was around that time. Um, and then they were allowed to come back, but very restricted on what you could do. And you could only have two people working together. But for example, to enter our dry docks, you, we need three, so we couldn't use the docks. Um, it was a sort of catch twenty two, which is where you turned. Um, but anyway, we've got that back going now, and it's. Um, We've got a huge order book for next year. So, you know, if your listeners out there want a blacking on that, you've got to buy now while stocks last because um, it, it, it is very encouraging that a lot of people um, uh, have said to us that there, and there's been articles in the paper about this, that you know, they're suddenly getting new galleys or whatever it is to their boats because they hold this money to go on a cruise around the Seychelles and they can't do it, and they don't dare do it, doing it, and so they're going to spend it on their boat instead. And funny enough, I, I was just the same, and I took my boat out for a lovely cruise. Um, no one wanted to come with me, so I took it all the way to um, Lechlade and back on my own, um, going solo. And um, so... When was this? Um, in, back in, in July. Right. And it was absolutely wonderful. I had the whole place to myself. Um, and they're working all these Thames locks on your own. You know, normally you go to Thames lock and there's you're sh- shuffled around with about five or six boats. Yeah, sure. But I was able to work locks completely on my own. There was no one around. The, the lock there were two or three lock keepers around who were very helpful. I was mm-hmm. legal then, I was totally legal. But um, I managed to whiz all the way out from, I dare admit to boast, but there wasn't any attempt to do anything else. But I went from, I love getting up very early and getting going by six. And just keeping going until dusk. And I went all the way from Enslow, which is, you know, is north of Shrub, all the way to the last the luck above Lechlade in a day. Wow. Yeah, I was no one was more surprised than me. Yeah. So tell us about your boat, Tim. What is it? My boat is um well, it's a small boat as as regards the canals. It's a forty five foot Colcraft, uh Lenny Beach and Fit Art nineteen ninety one. Right, uh, but I, I was a, a very. It was um, a very sentimental boat because 1991, sorry, 1992. Get the years correct. 1991. I, I mean, I, uh, I started this place in 89, 88. But um, 91, we joined up with Northwest Narrowboats, a boat builder then, and took a boat a 35 footer down to the London Boat Show, when the central feature was the, the inland waterways. I thought it was a great way of promoting both his business because we used to do a lot of business with them and um also in in and in both promoting our own business so we went there in 91 and then we went back in 92 and that was a great success such a success we decided to come back next year for the london boat show and uh, it was um you know it was it was it was quite frightening because we repeat almost history repeating itself because we went to the 1992 boat show and um that was fine for the show, but we got very few orders. And then, then of course, the market crashed very shortly after that. But there was a chap called Brian Saunders, who was quite well-known in the canals in those days in the IWA circles, who had ventured out into a, um, 
you know, up market, top of the market, uh, harboat operation. Right. He had two boats, a 60-foot um, Kilcroft, it was a 57, 60-foot Kilcroft, and then a 45-foot. So and he was going to have those boats aimed at the American market and all the rest of it. Foreigners coming over who really wanted a, you know, up, a top quality boat. Sure. And uh, that just fell apart by the middle of June, uh, middle of 1902. And he asked me to sell those two boats for him, very sadly. And you wouldn't believe it, but Brown Saunders had paid 66000 for that 60 footer. That's a lot of money back and then, the best, wasn't yeah, it? In the, it was. in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, and the, the best offer we could get, and we, we, he got money from a company called the Agricultural Mortgage Corporation, all funny places. Um, well, you got to borrow from somewhere. And uh, I never heard of them before or since. And they were based in Oxford Street. And um, anyway, they were foreclosing on him, and they wanted the boat sold. They kept ringing me up every week or two saying, how are you getting on with selling it? And eventually got one offer from a real wide boy for 42000 mm. The boat was basically brand new. Right. 66,000 out of 42. And anyway, the long and short was that uh, my own, that Victor, 45 footer was bought by a South African uh, who was over here on holiday. And he kept it here until he died of a heart attack in, when was it, 2010. Very sadly, wonderful man. And I couldn't bear to see that boat going elsewhere. So I just did the decent thing and bought it. You know, I got a value advice. I got a I got a value by by Severe and uh, so that there was no issues possible issues with the widow, and I've had it ever since. How often are you able to get out on it? Oh, very rare. I mean, one of these few golden the silver linings to all this bloody business we've been through is that I've been able to do two weeks boating during the high summer. When had I ever been able to do that before? You know, you normally I don't tack my boating on until sort of late October. Um, but, um, you know, that was, so there was some good things came out of that. Good. I understand that growing up, you were always around boats, but, um, not so much the inland waterways type of things. And you certainly never worked in the industry. I never, never worked in them before. And I had very little to do with the inland waterways before I came here. Yeah, it was all seagoing stuff. And yeah. after I left school, I and qualified as a, well, I went to university, London University, they went on to qualify as an accountant in the city. And then I drifted in stockbroking. Um, which we, we always joked amongst ourselves was the last bastion of the unemployable, which is roughly true in those days. Uh, and um, that, that was from, that was from um, yeah, that was from 80, when the hell was it? Yeah, it was earlier than that. But um, I became a member of the Stock Exchange and it was there in the old days of the Stock Exchange. And then, of course, from 82, 3, when it was, when Big Bang came along, um, it all sort of fall apart, unwind in terms of the old ways of doing things. Um, literally the day before, after Black Monday, I turned 40. And I really decided I didn't want to be around to sort out the, while the mess was being sorted out. Mm. There would be huge reorganizations, huge redundancies. And a lot of the city firms I could see from straight away would be taken over by American firms, which is what happened, American and Continental. Um, I don't think a single British stockbroking outfit left now. And uh, I decided the time had come to get out. And um, I decided that also I didn't want to work for anyone else again. I always wanted to work for myself. Um, so I looked for a business to buy from about October 87. And, you know, any business. I, I, my first port of call was going to be financial services, you know, because I saw a new market in pensions and portable pensions. 
Right. And I thought I'd go into that, you know, advising people. Yeah. And um, and that was my first thing I thought of doing, and then I thought of one or two other things. Um, But um, then on May 87, May 88, um, the investments in the Financial Times, I saw it on the train going up to London, was for the the old, one of the rump of the old lady line. Um, And that was a classic story. We see time and time again on the coast and business, everywhere you wish to name, where people just build up conglomerates of businesses or conglomerates of operations. Lady Line were no exception. They went mad buying up every boat business around the the system. I think they had about 30 yards both on the coast and on the inland waterways. Um, And then they finally just crashed. They finally crashed in eighty. 88, May 88, and they were down to a rump of only two businesses because they kept selling things off to try and you know get some more money in. Sure. And the last business they kept was Braunston, and they had the uh, one other um, operation of Thorn. Um, it's a very small operation up there, which they couldn't get rid of. The only reason they still had it is they couldn't sell it. And um, I bought the business from the receiver. Um but it was a good time to buy because it, it was, you know, no one was buying in those days. And you know, I paid twelve thousand for this place. Right. Did you know much about the inland waterways? I didn't. Well, when I came here, I saw you know, straight away that um, there was a huge potential here because I'd made a, you know, um, to do this place up. I loved historic buildings and all those sort of things. I'd restored a lovely pair of dairy cottages in Surrey, which had been condemned, and made a few bob on that. Um, and um, I could see the potential here. I could see that what had happened on the coast, because I'd seen that over 20 years, you know? Right. When I first got involved with boats and sailing around there, there was almost no marinas on the coast. Mm. There weren't. Yeah. Um, just one or two. And, of course, then they started growing up all over the place in exactly the same way as they're now growing up on the inland waterways. And I thought the same thing would happen. Um, to um, you know, something like uh, um, Chester Harbour, which I sailed in from when the 60s, I, you know, I was sailing there. Um, there wasn't a single marina anywhere on there, none, none whatsoever. When I started, you all were you all moored out in the middle of the, the of the harbour, you know, on swing moorings, on these various fingers of the delta that had been flooded, and you had to we had to always time your things. So you went out to your boat, you rode out to your boat. No one even had engines on the back of their boats. So a few rich people had seagulls. And then you rode down to your boat in the ebb tide, and then you came back on the flood tide. You know, you hoped to get up to the spot by the time the flood tide, before the flood tide ceased, get in your ding, blow up your dinghy, get on the back of it, and row back to the, where we were moored. We used to base ourselves at Bosom. And that's the way it was. But I could see that that same process of change would come to the end of waterways. I've been proved absolutely correct. I mean, people are building marinas left, right, and center. And, um, you know, to the point that uh, they've almost been overdone. I mean, Brinkler Marine is, is in receivership at the moment. I don't know whether it's been sold up or not, but that went bust. Um, and most people are operating at 80% occupancy. Whereas when I came into the marina, the Canal Marinas, there was a desperate shortage of um, offline moorings. Desperate. You get about 10 calls a day if you've got a marina, if you've got a mooring, if you've got a mooring. I'd pay serious, serious money today to get look, two calls a day saying I've got a mooring. Yes. Uh, we've, 
we've we've tried to go for quality and uh, be the t- you know, top of the market, and we, as a result of that, we've kept our occupancy reasonably reasonably well. Mm. But not discounting those things, Tim, you also have a very enviable location. Well, we do. Okay, old adage in state agencies is is only three things to worry about: location, location, location. Yes. And, um, but against that, I mean, this is a historic location, and where we cannot, and the, the, the reservoirs were built in the 1790s, and we can't alter the shape of them, we can't put um, roads down around the edges or anything like that. Um, it's a very much a conservation area. And um, whereas the modern marinas, you can drive your car up to the, the boat, you know, you can... You, but having said that, having done all of that, Brinkley Marina still went bust. Yeah. But you do have a very lovely village in Bronston. Well, it is. And I think I think there's... And we've seen this particularly this time around, you know, once we were able to go back to being somewhat... something vaguely close to normal, um, that the, um, the Moras were coming up here, and in a way I'd never seen it before, um, and just sitting on their boats here and using the village and going for the walks around here. And we've got some wonderful walks around here. Um, great canals as well. We've got canals. Oh, canals are the wonderful things. But also not that far away, we've got some very, very um, nice things to do. I mean, we have some of our moors will come up here and just drive down to Stratford for the evening. I mean, okay, it is three quarters an hour, but it's it's there. Yes, yeah, doable, yeah. Um, and, um, the, you know, we've got other activities here. Oxford is just down the road, again, about three quarters an hour to drive to, about three quarters an hour. A lot of th- cultural things going on there. Um, in addition to the other activities we've got. So, yes, it, it is very, very nice. And we have... Um, we have Moras. We've just taken one this year um, who was previously more, a German who's got an, a very nice uh, um, sea otter, 41-foot sea otter. Right. He's more, he's more um, English than English, you know, in a funny sort of way. And um, he moved up to us this year from a mooring. Um, we had, he was born just near Reading, somewhere on there, without naming names. And he I couldn't believe he could come straight into Broadstone Marina. I said, come straight in, please. He rang me up saying, you've got a vacancy. I want to come and move up to you. I said, yes, come along. And, you know, and I say, we've got two Germans here, another another boat as well. And the fact this chap Ernst lives, won't, won't believe this one, he lives by the Kiel Canal. So he comes all the way from the Kiel Canal by road to his boat at Broadstone Marina. <laughs> um, we've got another, and then we've got a couple who live in Norway. And they've got another oh, really? and got bits and pieces. They've got a couple who live in. Um, so, they've, got, they've got a. So they fly over, do they? Yeah, yeah. Well, how do they get here? They get here, and um, yeah, they, they they love the English canals too. We uh, we got an Australian couple who keep the boat here. Couldn't be able to come over this year. Got a Canadian um, couple. You've also got some famous Morris too. I'm thinking Tim and Prue. Yeah, we've got Tim and Prue, yeah. I mean, we're, they're quite happy to be named. We have one or two others, which we, I would be, I'd lose them as customers overnight if I revealed who they were. Um, <laughs> but um, the Tim and Prue, of course, were quite happy. They even, once they'd mentioned me in their book, you know, my daughter was Great Canal Journey, they said, well, you can't complain ever again. They mentioned me and where they moored their boat. I said, you can't complain ever again if I mention your name in public. 
Uh, um, you all mentioned, you know, never came before, but we had David Suchet for a long time, and he he didn't want anyone to know he was really here. Well, he didn't, he couldn't avoid people knowing, but he never went out of his way to... Um, in those early days, he would not do anything public for us. He just wanted to go right. up to his bone and play with it. Which is which is perfectly understandable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, uh, he was. I mean, it was... Um, I know he's since become a, a real ambassador, as we... As oh, he is. He's now dedicated his life. But in those days, he didn't want to. Um, but um, but I always point out to people when I take them boating for the run down to Napton... Um, um, this particular spot that he had halfway just uh, just to get to Shockborough, where um, he um, used to go and moor on the off side of the towpath, where that escarpment comes down to the canal, and then you have the wonderful views across the Warwickshire Plain to the right. And um, he used to mo- get all geared up and go for a week on his own, solitary up there, and sit on his boat for a week learning his lines for his, the plays he was doing. And he just loved that spot. He said, I love it more than anywhere else I know. And I think, I say, we have the, I think we have the loveliest, the loveliest canal in the country, just round here. You mentioned the electric moorings earlier. Have you seen any other big changes to waterways culture during your time at the marina? Oh yes, tremendously. I mean, it's it's sad in a way. Um, I mean, it's um, when I first came into it, um, there were some people here, certainly and elsewhere, who and they're, they're still out there. Um, there are a lot of people who love the waterways, but there was also in those days there was a lot more hands-on commitment to canal restoration and supporting the IWA. Um, and I think that's gone, I think, for various reasons. One is that these most of the canals have been um, restored. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the big fights, the Starbridge Arm or the Starbridge, uh, Starbridge fights and these other various other places um, to save these canals, the wonderful work that's put in by the, uh, the people at the time to save the Stratford and everything else, They've all been restored. I mean, we're, there are bits and pieces of the canal system still to be restored, and I hope that they will be restored. But um, and work is still out there and all the rest of it. But the type of thing that went on in the in the sixties, fifties, where you know people would go on holiday camps to restore canals, um, mm. it doesn't happen now. Mm. I, I don't want to disagree with you, Tim, but we do still see canal camps and. We do, but not on the scale. I'm saying not on the scale. That's the point I'm making. The scale was huge. Right. Huge. I mean, there's, there's that... Um, Kate Saffin's got a new play called, or book called I, We Dig Canals. Yes. About all the women who contributed. And um, you couldn't see that today. The study of the mud and all the rest of it looking like the Battle of the Somme. <laughs> um, I, I think it was fantastic that we had that. Um, and uh, but I, you know, I don't think that people don't volunteer for things because other people are doing some incredible stuff. And where we are, and to go on and on that same theme, where we are tremendously benefiting. And I have to take come and say this quite openly: Robin Evans was not popular as um, chief executive of the, of the British Waterways as it was. Mm. And he re- he retired almost immediately after he'd done the uh, the, the reorganisation of the Canal and River Trust. 
which was a great achievement on his part. But I say he was not popular, and um, he he never went boating. Um, and somebody made the comment that he was he he was he when he was almost embarrassed to be seen near a canal, <laughs> and he had a much enthusiasm. Somebody said that he had much enthusiasm for the waterways for the canals as a vegan running a butcher's shop. <laughs> It's uh, <laughs> just the sort of culture just wasn't there, and um, but he had the foresight to not only to do the move with well, obviously with Tony Hales into the Canal River Trust, to which has been charity, an outstanding yes. success, I think. Right, um, and the appointment of Richard Parry, which I think has been an outstanding success, but also he was the one who came came with his from where he came from with the royal palaces of um, getting volunteers in. And the first, when that first happened, people were saying, volunteers, you're trying to get stuff on the cheap, you know, and you're trying to undermine the the jobs of these people here and all the rest of it. And the moment you get five volunteers, you've got to cut a permanent employee. Yeah. Uh, And all the rest of it, okay, there was all of that. But we have seen fantastic, Fantastic volunteering um, in terms of the ongoing maintenance of canals, which is different from de- you know saving them for restoration. Um, and we have a fantastic team. I can't remember how many got in the Bornston flight, but there are ten or twelve of them um, who are absolute regulars, and they're always out there um, helping people during the summer, repainting the canals, locks, everything else. Yeah. And uh, we spot we we spot we sponsor them in various ways over the years, um, depending on what they want the money for. And this year we gave them, and we paid for all their health and safety jackets they've got to wear. You know, which surprise, surprise, got our logo rather prominently on them. Um, but you know, visibility jackets and all those sort of things. Um, and but they're, they're tremendous people. And we had mm. Pete Wartman, who was here the other day. We made a program together, him and I, for Radio Four. Yes, um, I know. I know Pete Waterman's well known as a railway enthusiast. I didn't realise he was interested in the inland waterways too. Well, he's suddenly become he's suddenly been converted to them, right? Because he did um, he well he did he was, was full circle in a way because he did that that Britain by barge uh, then and now program for Channel Five, which was filmed in two thousand nineteen in the autumn of two thousand nineteen, late summer two thousand nineteen with. Um, yeah, he did it with him and, and with Bilardi and with um, Jenny Bond and Anne Darman. And, um, but before that, he hadn't done anything to do with canals. But, uh, or not really, but he had, and then he did those series. And then in, in that series, he came and interviewed, visited Braunston Arena. He told me that he was a local boy from Coventry, and he, in the fifty, because he's seventy-three, same age as me. He was born in January, was year forty-seven. I was born in October forty-seven. But he was, uh, and he's still working. I'm still working, and he um, used to come here fishing in the fifties before the, you know, the yacht. They were still working yard with Barlow's, and uh, so he had all these memories. He used to come fishing with his father, so he remembered the yard in those days. So he was right. well ahead of me there. Yeah. Um, but he had never went, really went boating on any. And then, um, so we did that. And surprise, surprise, I, I was sitting here in June this year <clears throat> wondering what to do next. Because it did, what was staggering about that lockdown period it was just the silence. The phones didn't ring. Nothing right. 
you know, right. no one came to the shop. Well, they couldn't come to the shop. Um, uh, well, they could for essential purchases. They could. You get, they're very strict on what you could buy. You know, gas, diesel. And, Presumably, you had to cater for liverboards. Well, we we were we we well we we, we used that excuse that um, yes, well, liverboards were still living here. We got a few of those here, but we, there are but there are twice three times the number living on the canals around here, um, and they needed that to be able to get you know gas, diesel, and as well as a bit water, and um, the um, because the problem was once. Some of these, it was all respect to our friends at the CRT, once um, things like um, the um, chemical disposal places around the canals started busting or getting full, there was no one to come and fix them. So that the people were coming here because we kept ours open the whole way through. Provided they were buying diesel and gas from us, we were quite happy for them to come here. Um, and uh, so we had all of that. But anyway, I'm just telling you how, I was saying, you know, with all this, you know, once 11 o'clock, no, I mean, it's used to 10 till 12. Once 12 o'clock had come, the place became like a morgue in here. And I was lots of things I needed to do and was working on, it wasn't so I was doing nothing. And then suddenly the phone rang, and there's a lady called Heather Thomas, who I'd never spoken before, and introduced herself and um, asked to speak to me. And I said, Speaking. And um, she said, I'm from BBC Radio 4, from uh, Open Country. And we'd like to make a programme about Braunston and you. And I thought, oh, well, we heard this one before. Because she said, I'd like it to be presented by Pete Waterman. So I thought, <laughs> I wonder where she picked that idea up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, um, so it was all arranged that Pete would come here. Uh, and we all had to be self-distancing and self-this and self-everything else you wish to name. Yeah. Uh, and um, the... Um, you know, she was sitting there with a mask holding this microphone in front of me, you know. Um, <laughs> it was all slightly. And then she'd sort of go about two yards away to where Pete was standing, asking questions, you know, shooting <laughs> they, and, and, and we went through the same, a lot of the stuff about the history of the place here. He's tiring here as a boy fishing. And then we took around the various trades we've got here, like the Fender, historic Fender trade. Um, Dave Bishop uh, painting the dock. He was, you know, still carrying on painting the, through the whole of that block. Um, we were able to keep certain aspects of our business open. And uh, Dave Bishop was just on his own in the dock. Um, and explained that Dave learned from Ron Half, who learned from um, um, Frank Nurse. These, are the, it was, these are the famous canal yeah, painters. Aren't they? Yeah. For 200 years. I mean, we lose track um, far back in this. But just who was what? But there's there is this apostolic succession here, and we're very proud to keep all this going. So we have that angle that you know more is um, accept that okay we're more expensive than pretty well anywhere else, but the level of services and the history and everything else, um, you know, it makes it worthwhile for enough people for us to be able to it keep does. going. I, I should. Um... And by the way, let me let me jump in there and just simply say that Pete's uh, my wife says he's my new best friend. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's coming next year to well this no next year we we're still going to get the year nearly in the old year, year, year but he's coming if we're allowed to hold it he's going to come and open our rally this year oh right and is that that's is that kind of loosely planned to go ahead in in May no no in, in of June so we June, hope in of June sorry yeah because my daughter's getting married in June as well just to um, if, can you just lend me 10,000 to pay tie me over to payday because I'm a bit short of that <laughs> you're definitely asking the wrong person um, Tim you also have considerable involvement in Waterways history 
Oh, well, I, I just love it. And um, what I can you tell you... You recently became patron of the Narrowboat Trust. Uh, yes, I've done that. I'm a patron of uh, Friends of Raymond. Yeah. And then I'm one of it is of um, Friends of President. Um, and we've given a lot of money. And I'm hoping that um, President will be restored for the rally. And I, should, I should point out, we're talking about historic narrowboats. Yeah, Steve narrowboat president. Yeah, not, the, not, not, not President Trump. Yeah. He's, <laughs> uh, he's unrestorable now. <laughs> Are you hoping to... Uh... ...will be restored and come. And I'm trying to persuade Pete, because, you know, he's a great... Um, he, he, in fact, the 20 grand, presented the 20 grand that I gave to, we gave to President to... We, uh, I gave a real poison chalice to the Black Country Museum. I said, if if we if we put in twenty grand for president, because it's owned by the Black Country Museum, would you match that? And they thought about it for about twenty four hours. I said, I'm not giving it on my own. Uh, surprise, surprise! Under the bed, they found another twenty. <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, well, that's very generous. I mean, twenty grand is well. It's it's it's, it's more than a night out in Devonshire. I'd agree with Devonshire, you there. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but that was for boiler work, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, for the boiler work. Yeah. But I, I I um I I think we can all play our part in different ways. I mentioned um, those who gave the time to restoring the canals, and um, I I always say to all these people, you'll never find me with a pick and shovel in my hand. I never will. Yeah. And um, or a paintbrush or anything else, you know. I prefer to do what I'm good at, and raise the, and 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 you know raise the money from selling narrowboats, whatever it is, and um, you know, giving some of it back. And I can't mm. put it more bluntly than that. And um, and it sometimes saddens me how few of my colleague, um, you know, other businesses in the trade um, are willing to put their hands in their pockets. Um, mm. There are some, and I don't wish to suggest they're all mean bastards because um, some of them are very good. Um, but I think, with all, dare I say it, I think we give more than any of them. Um, and but it, it's time and time it, it's worth it because time and time again, you know, somebody brings a, a narrowboat for me to sell. It's fifty thousand pounds of the boat. We charge six percent commission. You can work on the number yourself, and. Um, they say to me, you've given so much back. Well, I said, well, it's very kind of you to say that, but uh, I, I didn't give it on the basis that somebody's going to turn up with an aerobat for sale. <laughs> but it does help in terms of what I'm trying to do um, mm. and um, obviously maintain the site. Uh, when I first bought the place, uh, I went through, because I told you I love old buildings, um, and um, I've been involved in, in a lot of campaigns when I said I was living in Surrey, one of the ones I failed in was to preserve the house that P.G. Woodhouse was born in. Can you believe it? Right. That bunch of thugs at, um, at Guildford Council. Guildford as well. Just pulled it down. That's criminal. But that's by the by. But I think so, you know, um, anyway, that's what we've done, done here with those boats. And I'm saying I hope that I'm trying to persuade Pete to, um, he won't commit himself, but perhaps if he listens to this, this broadcast or some of your listeners will, to um, set aside that, that time span, only two or three days, because mm. um, President wants to do a fly run to celebrate his re, you know, it's obviously oh, right. from the Black Country okay. Museum to arrive at our rally on the Friday afternoon in time for the next day. How interesting. 
That'd voyage. be great. So not a non-stop, yeah, yeah, stop. A non-stop yeah, voyage. Yeah, stop. Yes. And I said, well, Pete, if you want a good TV program of you being a real hero, you could sit on, stand on the front of that boat. All the, mm. the heavies there would make sure you don't get anything wrong, but it would make the most marvellous TV. Yeah, it certainly would. Tim, I know that you also have a particular interest in the female volunteer boat crews of the Second World War. Oh, yes, I've done, yes, I've done, done a lot of work on them. I've met some of them. There's almost none left. Yeah. But I did see them in their so lifetime, met, and I went out to Australia. You met Sonia Rolt. Sonia Rolt. Evelyn Hunt. Evelyn Hunt. I met um, um, God, Jean Peters. I've met... Um, What's the one who wrote, um, God, she died a couple of years ago. Emma Smith. Emma Smith, I knew her. Went to her little house in Putney. I hope they one day put up a plaque outside it. It's a they tiny also. little workman's cottage, absolutely on that little green, just to come across the bridge at Barnes Bridge. I don't know. It's, I've been, is, no. that, is this where she worked out of then? No, no, that's where she lived the last part of her life. Right. And um, I went to... To, and, um, and then I followed and found the, uh, the the third member of the trio of Evelyn Hunt and, and the other two girls, um, and um, I remember his name. I so now in a second. Um, to, she married, um, went to lived in, in a, a married. She came from South America. Her family were Anglo Argentinian family. She came over to England to be educated in the thirties. Went to, um, she was on the first intake at Newnham College, Cambridge. And then um, she went back to South America. And, but while she was at Newnham College, she met somebody else who was at Cambridge. But then she went back to South America in about 37, 38, uh, where her parents had a ranch um, down in sort of in the Pampas area. And then she, um, and then when war broke out, she volunteered and came over to England. First of all, as, as a, a uh, AVD, I can't remember they call themselves, uh, working in hospitals. And right. then um, she got bored of that and she went on the boats in mm. 19, beginning of 43. And she stayed with the three of them, even Audrey, even, and Anne, uh, right up to August um, 45. And then she um, then went back, went to teaching over here and became housemistress uh, in a school in Bath, girls' school there. And then she re-established contact with her boyfriend from Cambridge, who who'd also came from South America, and they got married and went out there. And then they went and lived in a acquired their own ranch in the Andes, um, near, quite close to Barilocci. And I, anyway, I found all this out and traced it and went out and stayed with her niece, her, 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 her daughter-in-law, right. who now ran the estate. And Anne died in '93. And though she and her husband and son were buried up on the hillside there, and I right. and, and the daughter took me up to show. Me, well, show she pointed the grave. I mean, Anne was, was rugged to the end, and she was buried halfway up this bloody mountain. So, and the, her, her daughter-in-law said to me, "If you want the grave, it's up there." Right. So left me to walk up there with my wife. Right. Uh, but we found the grave, and that's where she's buried. So it was, and I could find a lot more information about her. What is it about, about that period of Waterways history that interests you? Well, I, th- I think I'm very interested in, in you know, having had three daughters, I'm very interested in, in, you know, and I've seen firsthand, even how in our own time, you know, basically women are discriminated against in one form or another. Absolutely, yeah. You can't deny it, even today. Yeah. And then the scandal the BBC with the wages they're paying um, Fiona Bruce versus people doing the exact same job. 
Mm. Um, and I've always felt very um, sympathetic and whatever it is towards their cause. Mm. Um, I imagine they were all very independent, spirited women. You've met yeah, them, so... Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, they were. And, um, I mean, it was quite extraordinary that um, Audrey, and I've you know, researched this carefully because um, from other comments and everything else that is around, but Audrey, in six months, aged 23, 23, could steer a pair of working narrowboats as well as any boatman family mm, impressive. in six months. And the, the other two girls on the boat were much older than her, but the Grand Union Canal Company made her steer a harper. She was Audrey Harper. She was called Steer a Harper. And she did it all the way through. Another feature that's often mentioned to me is the piece you did on Anthony Finch. Tell us about Anthony. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anthony Ernest Finch. They also be called Ernest. Um, the, um, yes, the Finch, the remorseful day. Well, I mean, I wrote a booklet about that. And he was a serial burglar on the canals in the days when I first came here. And um, we were chasing him with the local Bobby um, and, and a lot of other people. And I, I did document all these incidents and managed to put it all together because I went to watch him being tried in, in Oxford Court. So he was causing a lot of problems for you? Oh, uh, yeah, it was. We were losing boats. Right, because he was breaking in? He was breaking into them. And, and um, what, was he do- what was he doing? Just he pitching? just pitching food, drink. I mean, he was alcoholic. Mm. I mean, he was the most weird man ever because um, the... He had a total photographic memory of everything, every incident he'd done. And he used to give himself into the police once every now and again when he was, um, he was getting cold in winter, um, rather than sleeping rough. And then he'd uh, confess to all the crimes he'd done, so just to make sure he went down. Mm. And um, he'd, he'd get a no nine months uh, prison sentence, let out after six stuff, which mm. would be just in time for the next summer. Mm. And um, the... Um, but he would actually say what the bottles were. You know, I drank a bottle of Beaujolais. Mm. Oh, you know, he had like red, so if you only kept white on your boat, you were all right, you know. <laughs> so he was breaking into boats primarily for food. For and... food and drink. But, but he would also steal clothing. Right. He just, if it was, was a nice fleece there that fitted him, he'd take that and leave the old scruff one he'd been sleeping in. Right, I see. Um, yeah. Oh, yes, he was an extraordinary man. And I finally went down to see him in court when he was done. And I wrote a book. And it's on the net. If you just put in Finch the Remorse today, you'll yeah. see the whole story. Isn't but I originally published that. And um, just as a, well, what it was, uh, I just had a limited edition of 1,000. And eventually, I think by the time I, I, re- I ran it three editions, and after that, I just stuck it on the net because you don't make any money out of publishing things. And um, by the time you paid your costs, and um, but it's on the net now, and I think it's had over five thousand hits on the net. Yeah, it's a good read. Yeah, we, well, you read it. Had... Good. Yeah. Oh, good. But it's some lovely twists to the story. I mean, that is a remarkable story. Um, and um, the you know, fact that he got, he convinced them and the, the judge that he was full of remorse and was never going to offend again, and he'd been doing alcohol 
reform treatment. And then the days in our jail, he was back on the job. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Tim, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, it's a privilege talking to Waterways World. I mean, you were there before me. You're still there. You're still there. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Choosing the right insurance for your narrowboat Ybeam or Cruiser can be hard work, but the friendly team at MS Amlin Boat Insurance will provide a quote tailored specifically to your boating needs and really take the hassle out of insuring your boat. Call 01732 223 650 or visit boatinsure.co.uk.